electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Hope you want to make friends. I'm just trying to help you make a little money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. So, tech has a pulse... No, a real post after all. Yeah. Tech's been the weak spot of this market for ages. But today, the Dow tumbled 392 points. The S&P declined 0.2%. And the Nasdaq actually rallied 0.14%. Now, that was the seventh positive day in a row. But this time, it was actually led by some stocks that have been hurting it. The beleaguered software and semiconductor stocks. They're making a comeback, at least today. Now, people have been flocking to the mighty Dow, bent on going with the bluest of blue chips, while abandoning anything that seemed expensive, including most of tech. Today, though, it sure looked like tech's finally gotten cheap enough to survive even the toughest downgrades. But make no mistake, this is a counter-trend rally. The companies that have reported so far, chief of the large banks, have been superb, even as it was overshadowed today by the disappointment from Goldman Sachs. It was a bizarre and, frankly, hopefully aberrant conference call Filled with distractions. Frankly, I think Morgan Stanley up nearly 6% is a bigger deal than Goldman down 6%, if only because it finally dawned on people that Morgan Stanley is becoming a repository of wealth management, not just a firm hostage to trading or underwriting. Morgan Stanley isn't leading the pack of banks. It's leaving the pack behind, which is why it's not getting a higher price earnings multiples or more for its more consistent business, but ultimately will. More on that later. What really matters today is that the decline in the Dow masked a robust session for some of the more forlorn parts of the NASDAQ. And that strength deserves an explanation because I know that some of you have been losing money would be very gratified by what happened today. First, as I mentioned, if you punish a group daily for being too expensive, eventually it's going to get cheap. Take Apple. Now, here it has, here's a stock. It now sells for a paltry 22 times earnings. I regard it as paltry because it's such a great company. Apple's the premier technology enterprise of our time, unrivaled brand. Yet its it stock sells much cheaper than Clorox or Church and Dwight or Colgate Palmolive. 
all of which sell for anywhere from 25 to 36 times earnings. I'm always comparing Apple to these companies because they're big, consistent consumer brands, but Apple's so much more than that. It's a classic technology innovator. It should trade at a premium, not a discount. But now it's gotten cheap after the stock's fallen from 182 to 135. Now throw in some incredibly bullish research that we heard today. Bye, bye, bye! Which suggests that Apple might give us a strong forecast when it reports, and then you can understand why you got a nice rally. Now I know Apple isn't tech- technically a consumer products company, it's a tech leader. But how the heck did it get cheaper than bleach? Now, I am less sanguine about this forecast issue. I doubt Apple will give us strong guidance, aside from the weakened dollar. I don't want anyone buying this stock on anything other than the lifetime value of its customer base, which is far in excess of the kind of customer loyalty you see for, say, a water pick or a Colgate toothbrush. Both worthy pieces of technology in their own right, although they don't hold a candle to the iPhone. As always, I say own Apple, don't trade it. But its strength today reminds us that stocks do get cheaper when they go down. And you know what? Tesla's in the same boat. Tesla! Look, here's a company that's been forced to slash prices almost as fast as the stock has been slashed. It's come down so low that Tesla's stock was selling for 20 times earnings estimates at the close of January 3rd. That rally today up nine bucks is significant because it comes on the heels of four price target cuts and a severe estimate cut by a respected analyst at the stock roared today. Again, I think that's a function of Tesla being not an expensive car company, but a cheap tech company. Oh, then there's the real conundrum, which is Microsoft. Now, we sold some for the charitable trust last week, something we discussed several times for the edification of club members. And we did it so because management didn't seem to have a sense of urgency when it comes to cutting overhead, even as their own customers are pulling back. The stock got downgraded today to a sell. Sell, 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 sell. By one firm today. I was shocked. It's odd given the company's uh, consistency. I worried it might be some kind of coup de grace for the bulls. Instead, of a clarion call that Microsoft might be too cheap down here at 25 times earnings. Hey, listen, it was at 35 times earnings not that long ago. Stocks, again, of high-quality companies do get cheaper when they go down. Not low-quality companies, but high-quality companies. Really, Microsoft was boosted by a leak also that they might be planning big layoffs, a formula for success in tech, because it tells you management recognizes the new reality is a lot more cyclical and they want to get their earnings more in line with their revenues. There's urgency, and why not? It worked for Meta Platforms, formerly Facebook, and it worked for Salesforce, at least so far. Why not Microsoft? Any good news on this front is buttressed by the seeming inability of Alphabet or Amazon to get with the darn program. We're all waiting for something to happen from these silent mega caps. Feels like waiting for Godot. Amazon stock fell more than two bucks today. Google lost 83 cents. They are lost in the high expense ether until they tell us otherwise. Of course, there's been nothing but free fall for the enterprise software and cybersecurity stocks this year. So it's nice to see them get some occasional lift. But other than Palo Alto Networks, I'm not seeing the slimming down or pivoting to profitability that might give these recent moves staying power. Oh, and shh, did did anyone notice that NVIDIA stock may actually be bottoming? I saw a cup and handle there. That's a technical positive that only charters care about. These days, everyone's a closet charters when it comes to the hideous action in tech. AMD lifted too. The big difference is that AMD sells at 20 times earnings, not more than 40 times earnings like NVIDIA. Then again, 
If there's a thawed relationship between U.S. and China, a lot of whispers out of that from Davos, then NVIDIA would be the semiconductor stock that might see the biggest pop. It suffered mightily when our government put the wood to China. Maybe it can recover. An eight-point rally, almost 5% today, sure helps get it there. Now, look, I know it wasn't just Goldman that brought down the Dow and the S&P today. We saw some heavy selling in companies that need a strong economy, possibly suggesting that the recent run in the cyclicals might be over. I heard that all day. Given that, we, that I, well, we got yet another weaker macro number today, I'm talking about the New York Fed's Empire State Manufacturing Index, which is very, very weak. I think it's the pause that refreshes, though, and I remain more partial to those traditional cyclical stocks. You're getting a chance to buy them ahead of what I believe will be better earnings comparisons than you're going to see from tech, the same way you got those better comparisons that shock people from the financials on Friday. It is so easy to panic out of stocks on the first sign of weakness. Because you read a lot of headlines, says, oh, boy, market too far, too fast. Looks, you know, what's the big sell about? Especially when you have the come hither two-year treasury at 4.2%. I'm urging the opposite, though. I see a minor court counter trend rally that might cause the downgrading analysts to wonder if they are too negative and the sideline analysts ready to turn positive now that buyers have so-called found a level to buy tech. To me, that's a natural expression of support for a part of the market that's playing catch-up. The part being the beaten down tech sector. Bottom line, I say let tech run for now. But remember, when we get to earnings starting next week for tech, the advances you see now could wipe away, wipe away the cheapness factor. And if you own or insist on owning tech here, you want to be in the ones that are cheaper than the consumer product companies that make pet food or cookies or soft drinks, for that matter. Let's go to Joe in California. Joe. Booyah, Jim, from Huntington Beach. Now, oh, what's going on, my friend? <laughs> hey, Jim, so my question is about Chevron. With Chevron having that special ability to operate in Venezuela, as well as them having a huge market share in California, are they the oil company to be looking at right now with this oil forecasting to grow above buck thirty a barrel? Of the giant oil companies, they are. Mike Worth was on uh, Squawk Box this morning, and he was magnificent, the CEO. Nice move today in the stock. I got to tell you, Joe, you got to go boom with Chevron, buying back a lot of stock, and all those things you said are certainly playing into their hands. It's been a winner. I think it stays a winner. But I say let tech run for now. But remember, you want to be in the ones that are cheaper than the consumer product companies. They're better, too. On the money tonight, as we approach the three-year anniversary of the COVID-19 outbreak, what companies are beneficiaries to continue reopening trends? I got some good names. I'm on a bunch of them. Then it was a tale of two financials, Goldman Sachs and Morgan Stanley. And I'm breaking down exactly what I saw in the reports handed in earlier today. And Darling Ingredients is in the business of converting animal byproducts to fuel. So could the stock be an under-the-radar way to energize your portfolio and decarbonize it? I'm checking in with the CEO, so stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. 
Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast, indeed.com slash mad money terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. As we approach the three year anniversary of the COVID-19 outbreak, the world's more or less gotten over the pandemic, except for China. But that doesn't mean things have gone back to normal. There's a new normal since COVID, because two years of living under the pandemic have profoundly changed the way we live our lives. It's like how a whole generation of people got scared away from putting their money in banks after the Great Depression. That's why this week we want to go through every corner of the economy to figure out how things have changed in a post-COVID world. Tonight, we're starting with the covid Winners, travel, restaurants, live entertainment, and gyms. Let's start with travel because I think it encapsulates what's happened with each of these post-COVID bull markets. They're really, they're really lust for, for, for life bull markets, lust for life. Ever since we started getting over the pandemic, we've seen an insatiable demand for air travel and all sorts of travel, frankly. After being pent up in their homes for two years, people are desperate to get out of the house. Go somewhere. You could call it the, how about this, LTS, Life's Too Short Thesis. During the pandemic, we couldn't do a lot of things we wanted to do. And many of us lost friends or family members. Now that there are few restrictions and things are pretty safe if you're vaccinated, particularly if you have that September vaccination, people are taking this chance to go on vacation. Unfortunately, investing in the travel boom has been a little tricky because while this industry is on fire right now, last year Wall Street got very worried about a Fed-mandated recession and travel rarely does well on a slowdown. However, as time went on, we realized these companies kept putting up great numbers. The demand was very resilient. Their stocks came roaring back. Although earnings season just got rolling, American Airlines pre-announced a fabulous set of numbers last Thursday, saying that fourth quarter earnings should be nearly double what they previously forecasted. That's incredible. And it's driven by strong demand, exactly the way you want it. Then on Friday, Delta reported a good quarter with CEO Ed Bastian telling us that, and I quote, 
I believe our industry will see tens of billions of dollars of incremental demand in the next few years coming out of the pandemic, end quote. That's what we're talking about. The post-COVID travel boom has also come up repeatedly in the big bank conference calls last week when consumer spending trends were being discussed. All right, so how do you play it? Please, one of our theses of 2023 is, and we keep telling club members this, don't overthink it. If travel's booming, you want to own the airlines. I've been recommending these for a while, and they're up huge in the last few months. But i, I got to tell you, I think the majors have more room to run. Delta and American just gave you great numbers. After the close, United reported they, too, had much better than expected results with a huge bottom line beat for the fourth quarter. That's incredible. More importantly, United said they're going to earn 10 to $12 per share this year. When the analysts have been expecting less than $7, upgrade, upgrade, upgrade. Just be careful and stick to the ones with good execution, meaning stay away from Southwest Air. They're ailing after a huge holiday service break. And that, by the way, was very disappointing. Of course, if you're traveling, you also need a place to stay. And that's why I like the hotel companies. The stock of Marriott's up almost 15% since the end of September, but still sells for less than 22 times earnings. That's too cheap given its predictable growth. I've been coming around on Hilton Worldwide, which is expected to have a phenomenal 23% earnings growth this year. At the same time, I'm also sticking with Airbnb. Now, full disclosure, I got this one very wrong last year. The business is terrific, and they're generating a ton of earnings, Turn, actual earnings. But Wall Street now despises anything out of Silicon Valley, especially if it came public in the last few years. Sooner or later, though, I expect Airbnb to start getting credit for its great numbers, not just because it came what cohort it's in. And I don't think the wealthy echelon is suddenly avoiding it, as so many say. This isn't some enterprise software stock either. It's not a new media play that's hostage to the advertising business. Airbnb's travel stock, and travel is booming. Great app, too, by the way. Hey, listen to this. On top of that, let me throw in Hertz, the rental car chain that came out of bankruptcy in 2021, and now as a new CEO came from Goldman Sachs. Right now, Hertz trades at just seven times 2023's earnings estimates because it's expected to have a major down year. Come on. I'm betting the estimates for 2023 are too low. Steve Scherr, the former CFO of Goldman Sachs, has done wonders at this company. I don't think you're going to miss like that. Last but not least, American Express is also a terrific travel play. Now, the stock trades at less than 15 times earnings, uh, and I'd be a buyer at these levels. Although you can always buy more of gets hit when it reports earnings next Friday, like it did last time, despite the actual numbers being strong. People sell this stock way too soon. Next up, we got a life is too short bull market in the restaurant space. Again, people go out more after being stuck inside for two years. Here I like Darden, Starbucks, and Cisco, the SYY kind. Identifying these is a little tricky because some of the biggest post-COVID beneficiaries are higher-end restaurants that aren't publicly traded. But Darden comes close to this. Parent company of Olive Garden, Longhorn Steakhouse, and is there any place more higher-end than the Capitol Grill? Meaning it has higher-end exposure. When Darden reported a month ago, they delivered a fantastic set of numbers. While the stock hit a new 52-week high last week, in part because of the thesis we're outlining, it's traded just 19 times this year's earnings estimates, and it's got this 3.25% dividend yield. That doesn't hurt. Okay, how about Starbucks? Now, I like this one so much that we own it for the charitable trust. A big part of the story is that Starbucks has gigantic China exposure, and China's now reopened. But the other part is that founder and interim CEO Howard Schultz, she's trying to reestablish that Starbucks as a third place. Not home, not work, but the other place where you spend a lot of time. You're out of the house there. That's a more compelling message in this post-COVID era, where hybrid work is everywhere. And you have a ton of people operating out of coffee shops. By the way, a lot of the smaller coffee shops didn't make it through COVID. And now, full disclosure, we just sold a little Starbucks for the Chapel Trust today, but that's purely about discipline because we're up 27% on the position for the club, and it was time to trim it back slightly. Discipline trumps conviction. 
Finally, you could just buy the suppliers, the restaurants like Cisco, which I recommended just last week. Next up, live entertainment. This is the same life is too short bull market. According to Wells Fargo, last Friday, entertainment spending was the only category up double digits for their credit card business. Not buying hard goods for the house. Lots of ways to go here. Live Nation owns Ticketmaster. It also owns a ton of venues. Companies growing like a weed. Even the public feud with Taylor Swift might not be enough to stop them. You could go with a casino play like Wynn Resorts, which we own for the Travel Trust, or MGM. I like them because they've had uh, exposure to both U.S. and China, which, is, again, is reopening. Uh, and you're talking about Macau when you're t- talking about Wynn. There's also Vici Properties, V-I-C-I. That's the Casino Real Estate Investment Trust, though they've been branching out into golf and wellness receipts, including the legendary Canyon Ranch, which is right up there with a high-end spend for people who felt pent up and life's too short. Hey, for something more low-key, I like Bolero. Yeah, the bowling center roll-up. This is one of the handful of former SPAC stocks that's actually worth owning. Because Bolero is an old-fashioned stock, they're gradually buying bowling alleys in all of America. It's just got nearly 20% same-store sales growth in the most recent quarter. Finally, we got a bull market in gyms, too. Now that it's safe to exercise around other people, I like Planet Fitness. You know that, but I've also you've got my blessing to speculate on exponential fitness, and that's just the X, no E, which is a higher-risk, higher-reward situation that we've covered a couple times that I really like. Here's the bottom line. As we adjust to life since COVID, the biggest theme is the rise of this life-is-too-short mentality. People don't want to waste their time anymore. If they want to go out to dinner, they go out to dinner. If they want to take a vacation, they take a vacation. If they want to get in shape, they go to the gym rather than just buying a Peloton and going solo at home. And I think this thesis is very much here to stay. Mad Money is back after the break. Coming up, two banking giants, two different directions. A rundown of key financials next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. From their innovative practice facility to unmatched views from the fairway, the PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with 5G solutions from T-Mobile for Business. Together, we're using AI-powered analytics to expand coaching tools and bringing fans closer to the pros with 5G-connected cameras. This is game-changing innovation. This is the PGA of America with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Every three months, earnings season kicks off with the six major banks, the nationwide ones, the ones we all know. And I always try to cover them because the banks have a huge impact on the broader economy and on the stock market itself. On Friday, I went over Bank of America, Citigroup, J.P. Morgan and Wells Fargo, all of which were good, if not excellent, when many thought they would be disappointed. They were anything but. And I would buy the stocks of J.P. Morgan, Bank of America and Wells Fargo Huge position for my child trust right here as investing club members know all too well. Then today we got some wildly divergent results from two major banks, and they were Morgan Stanley and Goldman Sachs. These were always going to be worse than the big money center banks that have the large deposit base. Neither Goldman Sachs nor Morgan Stanley has powerful consumer banking operations. They're part of the business that's booming for the big money centers, at least we thought. 
We knew this would be a tough quarter, but while I like Morgan Stanley more than Goldman Sachs, I didn't expect Morgan Stanley to report such a magnificent quarter, one that sent its stock up nearly 6% today. Make it the second best performing name in the entire S&P 500. And I didn't expect Goldman Sachs put up such poor numbers that my alma mater stock tumbled more than 6%, making it the second worst performer in the S&P. So let's break them down, starting with the headline numbers. Morgan Stanley posted a solid top and bottom line beat, driven by real strength at their wealth management and investment management divisions. Remember, I like this one precisely because CEO James Gorman pivoted to wealth management a little while ago. That's a nice, consistent fee-based business, which helps them diversify away from the boom and bust investment banking space. Now, they don't have much exposure to any more of the episodes sales and trading, or even IPO markets, although, by the way, if the latter comes back, it will be icing on the cake. At the same time, Goldman reported a small revenue miss, but a gargantuan earnings miss. They made $3.32 per share. Wall Street was looking for $5.56. Hey, by the way, that's down almost 70% year over year. That's a gigantic miss. By the way, the worst in a decade. Now, a lot of that is because of a $972 million provision for credit losses. More on that later. Credit losses at Goldman. But their asset management and investment banking divisions were both down double digits, and that was quite unexpected. I want to go over the headline numbers because it's no mystery why Morgan Stanley soared today and Goldman Sachs got Polaxed. One of these quarters was much better than the other. However, if you really want to understand why Morgan Stanley soared and Goldman Sachs plummeted, you need to crack open the hood, see what's going on inside. Let's start with the good one. Let's start with Morgan Stanley, which we own for the Chapel Trust, major position. By the way, we cover our holdings in depth for members of the CNBC Investing Club. Tonight, I'm going to give you a free sample of what we told people. Because if there's one thing I believe in, it's, of course, shameless self-promotion. I always say that Morgan Stanley is great because CEO James Gorman has pivoted away from investment banking toward the far more consistent wealth management business. And this was the quarter where they really saw a payoff. In recent years, they've shelled out a collective $20 billion to buy E-Trade for its electronic brokerage business and customer book, and then eat in advance for its investment management business. And by the way, they got that, I thought, that very cheaply. This is increasingly the future of finance. Back in 2010, Morgan Stanley got 74% of its pre-tax profits from the institutional securities business. That's traditional investment banking. Now it's down to 48%. Over the same period, the return on tangible common equity, that's the usually important key metric for the financials, has jumped from 10% to 16% because wealth management's very, very lucrative. It's also a lot more consistent. Sticky is what they say. The investment banking business is inherently boom and bust. In a year where the markets are frozen with little bond or equity issuance and few mergers, it's very hard for the investment bankers to make money. With wealth and investment management, however, they're mostly collecting fees year in and year out, and they're taking so much new money in. At the same time, Morgan Stanley did a terrific job of controlling its costs, another thing the government does well, forecasting much higher margins as the wealth and asset management divisions ramp up. Good scale there. They're ultimately targeting $10 trillion in assets under management. If they can get a 30% pre-tax profit margin there, that would translate into $15 billion in pre-tax earnings, more than what the entire company made last year. Even with the investment banking business and trading division struggling, I think Morgan Stanley's firing on all cylinders thanks to this transition. Given that the stock jumped 6% today, I don't know, maybe you get a little pullback, then you pull the trigger? But it's definitely worth owning. Doesn't hurt that we got a pretty voracious buyback. On the other end of the spectrum, Goldman Sachs delivered results that were sadly much worse than expected. And management didn't even try to put a positive spin on it, which was probably the, I'd say, the best thing about it. Of course, a lot of this week, this was expected. Nobody thought the capital markets business was doing well. 
We all knew Goldman was conducting meaningful layoffs, not something you do when things are good. We knew the nascent consumer business was struggling. But somehow all of these known issues turned out to be worse than expected. On the capital market side, investment banking was down 48% year over year. Currency and commodities were down 26% versus the previous quarter. Equities trading down 5% year over year and down 24% versus the prior year. Uh, the prior quarter, I'm sorry. Unlike Morgan Stanley, Goldman doesn't have any kind of successful pivot going on. They wanted to build a consumer business, but that fizzled. So with revenues down big, Goldman now needs to cut costs dramatically to stay in the same neighborhood profitability-wise. And for a firm like this, there's no bigger expense than compensation. Last month, we already heard that they're cutting up to 8% of the workforce. But today we learned that it's only 6% so far. And they made the decision to pay major bonuses for some of their talent to protect the franchise. While that might be the right call long-term, it caused a huge profitability hit, which is what Wall Street cares about right now. Finally, Goldman's giving up on on much of the consumer business. It's it's been a disaster. And they had to take a $972 million provision for credit losses. Goldman's renowned for not having to take those kinds of losses, mostly thanks to the credit cards, to loans, smaller loans. Ouch! In short, no one thought things would be good, but the reality was worse than anyone anticipated. In the end, Goldman needs strong capital markets to thrive. Right now, we just don't have them. That said, even after today's beat down, the stock simply is back to where it was 10 days ago. And when the capital markets come back, so will Goldman. Don't hold your breath, though. Putting it all together, Morgan Stanley pivoted to wealth management and made it all the difference. Both major investment banks saw hideous numbers from what used to be the core business. But for Goldman, it's still the core. And they really don't have any answer for the current weakness. In fact, even though they tried to diversify into consumer banking, that division was even worse. But Morgan Stanley's become a totally different animal with a much more stable earnings portfolio. That It's like they shouldn't even be considered as, com- as competitors anymore. So take the key metric here, return on tangible common equity. For Morgan Stanley, it came in at 12.6% for the quarter. All right, down from 19.8% the year before. Serious decline, but still doing pretty, good, pretty well. Goldman, though, saw its return on tangible common equity plunge from 16.4% a year ago to just 4.8% this past quarter. And that's a much bigger hit. Here's the bottom line. Morgan Stanley's James Gorman has been working hard over the past couple of years to make its business more consistent. And today we saw that strategy paying off because if they hadn't made this transition, they'd look a lot more like Goldman here. I worked at Goldman. I know they will get it right. But I share management's disappointment over the quarter, even as it has created a lot of value over the past several years. Let's go to Brian in Pennsylvania. Brian. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah, Brian. What's up? First off, love the show. Appreciate the information you provide retail investors like myself. Uh, real Thank quick, you. before my question, i got to confess, I'm a Cowboys fan, but my amazing wife is a huge Eagles fan, and I'd be sleeping in the street tonight if I didn't tell you she said, go Birds. I like that. I like that whole – I like that schematic. What's happening? <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm calling to get your thoughts on City. It's just off its 52-week low and way below its one- and two-year highs got a lower P.E. and higher beta than JPM and Wells, but it also has a 4% dividend. Looking at the chart, it looks like there might be some growth opportunities. Is City a buy, or would my money be better invested elsewhere? I think uh, both Wells and J.P. Morgan are better. I'll tell you why. Uh, City has good yield, but I don't understand the disparity between the tangible book value, which is over 80, probably around 81, and the common stock, which is at 50. And until I get an explanation of that once and for all, I am concerned. Now, City's been up, and it's been a good stock. I think Wells is better. But thank you, and go birds. I'm with your wife on that one. Let's go to Joe in my home state of New Jersey. Joe! 
Hello, Kramer. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I'm glad to have you. Luck. Good luck to your Eagles next week against the Giants. It's going to be we like luck. Luck's good. Never turn it down. What's going on? Uh, Raymond James has a strong buy rating on Bally National Bank and a nice $14 price target. Uh, with a low PE and almost 4% dividend, uh, is it a buy ahead of earnings? I like it. You know, I, I have to tell you that I like this one for a long time, and it's not panned out. We almost added it to the Chapel Trust. And I'll tell you what I'm confused about. Uh, Jersey's a pretty good market. Maybe people just feel like everyone's moving to Florida. I don't get it. I share the uh, your enthusiasm for it, but it's not been a winner so far. Go Birds. Morgan Stanley's been working hard over the past couple of years to make its business more consistent, and we saw it pay off big today. Much more mad money at from the war in Ukraine to bird flu, our food supply chain has its share of trouble. But how about some positive stories? Let's talk to the head of Darling International, uh, Darling Ingredients, to learn more about what is going on in that neck of the woods. Then, when I surveyed the economic landscape right now, there are a lot of negatives. But tonight, I'm revealing some constructive optimism that I think could help their investing strategy. And order calls, of course, rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. On unstable times like these, we like to fall back on some of our favorite secular themes, like sustainability, the energy transition, decarbonization. These are trends that can work even in a slower economy, at least in theory. Which brings me to Darling Ingredients. That's the largest publicly traded company that turns edible byproducts into food, well, let's say food waste into sustainable animal feed and food ingredients. They're also making renewable diesel in partnership with Valero. Hey, fascinating story, but also a wobble one, with the stock down nearly 24% from its highs last June. When Darling Ingredients reported in November, the numbers came in weaker than expected. Stock plunged 13%. So is the story run its course, or is the recent pullback more of a buying opportunity? Let's check in with Randy Stewie. He's the chairman and CEO of Darling Ingredients to get a better real situation. Mr. Stewie, welcome back to Mad Money. Hey, Jim. Thanks for having me back. Happy New Year. Oh, same to you, Randy. Uh, now, I just want to go over uh, the progression here. We had you on after the stock had a big dive. Uh, people felt that your quarter wasn't up to snuff. And then things have been up and down and up and down. What do you think is driving the price of your stock these days? What is it levered to? You know, it's a real challenge to try, I think, for people to get their mind around where we're at and where we're going. I mean, we've been on a 10-year transformation and vision and journey. I mean, you know, the numbers are in for for 2022. We're we're right in the range of where we thought we would be in the guidance that we've given out on the street. Um, You know, things are solid out there everywhere around the world. You know, we've had a share base that has been with this company for 10 years. And they, they followed the dream. And so we're in that transitional period of trying to find that new shareholder, at least in my mind, that wants to subscribe to the next level of the journey. I mean, we've given guidance out there next year for 181850, which is up 20% from where we're at this year. So the journey's not over. This business is solid and strong. You know, as one of my old mentors in life and my old lead director that I love so much told me, he said, Randy, just put up the numbers. The rest will take care of itself. And I still believe that today. Well, I agree with that. But I think that maybe there were people who felt that this was a decarbonization, sustainable growth stock, which it still is. But they got a little sidetracked because you do so much with animal feed. And animal feed is a classic crummy business, frankly. 
I would never want to beat it because right. you're up against some incredible companies who have tremendous scale. One of them is private and is, I think, almost rapacious. Uh, so if you do, if you double down on that side and don't double down on renewable diesel fuel, I think it confuses people. Yeah, I'm, I mean, Jim, there's no doubt. You know, I was in the Netherlands last week meeting with 20-something of our largest shareholders, including that wonderful firm of BlackRock that's out there. And once again, simplifying the story to them. I mean, we're the only vertical in the world that takes, you know, animal byproduct, converts it all the way into the highest and best use from pet food to renewable diesel. You know, as we try to remind people, 15% of the world's slaughtered animal byproduct remains go through one of our factories. This is a platform that, you know, has really incredible value. They're still trying to figure out how to value it. You know, people want to trade it for $5 million of EBITDA here, $5 million of EBITDA there. But at the end of the day, we've gone from 800 to 1.2 to 1.5 plus to 1.8 billion. So, you know, at the end of the day, the numbers will do the talking and the rest, they can do the walking. I totally agree with you. I think that it's an amazing recycling play and that what you pick up from 200,000 restaurants will always be thrown away. I mean, frankly, what you're doing, we would love in any other industry. Look at all the landfill you're not filling. Look at all the waste that you're making into something byproduct that's good. But I think people so much want you to be renewable diesel for jet fuel. And, and so you've got the shareholder base that gets too ESG excited and not earnings per share excited. I, I, would, I would agree with you. And I think, you know, from our perspective, we can do both and we are doing both. I mean, you know, the, the four pillars, we, we've been now asked, said, well, OK, you built out number one, two and three with Valero in, in the diamond green diesel model. We're the second largest producer in the world to Neste. We're the only vertical in the world. What are you going to do for me next, Randy? Well, you know, we're, we're getting really happy and warm about looking at the jet fuel. We think the, the writing's on the wall that the uh, aviation industry is going to have to step forward there. We continue to grow out the animal processing business around the world. You know, my dream is Africa. We'll, we'll get there one day. You know, I look at biogas. We're now one of the largest biogas producers in Europe. You've seen Shell. You've seen the Carlisle Group make incredible investments in, in biogas, now biomethane in Europe. And we're significant there. We've already been there for 10 years in these businesses. and. And it's just amazing that people don't recognize it. And then, of course, the one I know, as you said, your daughter loves the collagen product. You yes. know, right after I left you, you know, I couldn't tell you that we had acquired the, you know, the number four producer in the world that day. But uh, we're waiting on the Brazilian authorities to uh, give us clearance here. But uh, we're the largest collagen producer in the world today. And, and so we're, we're just excited about the growth platform that's underneath this at the same time. You know, people want to talk about decarbonization. You bet we're the solution there. You know, we own the oil field. We own the vertical. We own the technology. We're going to add sustainable aviation fuel here, I hope, in the future. And uh, then it'll be the full package. And how is the Valero deal doing? So, well, we love Valero. You know, the, the guys, you know, Joe Gorder is, is a close friend. And, you know, it's been a partnership of shared values. Typically, if you look at public company joint ventures, they don't last. And, and, you know, I think we're entering here in July. It'll be year number 10. 
Uh, we've invested, I think, around four and a half billion together on three plants. And, and I'm really, really happy about what the team's accomplished. I think it's one of those that both of us can say we brought equals to the relationship, which is really always difficult. We brought pre-treatment and we brought the vertical oil field. They brought their incredible engineering operations and, and their marketing team to it. And it's, it's second to none in the world. Well, I got to tell you, Randy, I think it's just a little bit more difficult for people to understand. But as you said, the numbers will explain the story. Randy Stewie is chairman CEO of Darling Ingredients DAR. Great to see you again. Thanks, Jim. And I got to leave you with one thought. How about those cowboys? Well, how about the Eagles coming up? (laughs) Best of luck in the playoffs. Thank you so much. Man, buddy's back after the break. Coming up, Kramer takes your calls, and the sky is the limit. It's a fast-fire lightning round, next. It is time. It's time for the lightning round. Good match for Rap Girls. the team. Stocks have been by Just be good another course. I'm going to stand for his video. Play this out. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, die. Time for the lightning round. Crimson round. Start with Darren in Florida. Darren. Yes. Hello. Thanks for taking my call, Kramer. Of course. What's up? For the, for the past month, I've been watching uh, a lot of REITs, real estate investment trusts that hit all-time okay. lows uh, that haven't seen in, in like since 2009. And in the past Got couple it. of weeks, I decided to buy some. I bought a, a little bit of Brandywine and Broadmark. Uh, Realty, but I decided to go all in on Boston Properties, ticker B. Well, you are all in if you're doing that one, because that's office buildings. And uh, a lot of people say that that would be the kind of building that's hurt by work at home. But I do share they are disciplined. They've got a good yield. And I don't uh, while I don't endorse it myself. I understand why there's a good thesis behind it, which is that these are great operators. Let's go to Russell in Connecticut. Russell. Booyah, Jim. First time, long time. As a young investor, you've helped me navigate the market, and I appreciate that. I like to shout out to Thank you, buddy. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. I'm an investor in a company called Biohaven. They have a great pipeline and little to no debt post carbon. Is it a hold or sell? Also, fly with Okay, no, no, no. It, it's, it's a great speculative buy. You know, I've been thinking a younger person might want to buy Biohaven for all the other stuff they had in the channel after they sold their Nurtec migraine drug. Let's go to Tyler in California. Tyler. Hey, Big Leo from California. Jim, how are you doing today? I am doing well. How about you? I am good. Hey, I'd like to know if I should be uh, getting pumped up for flex. I got to tell you, Flex is doing an IPO of a division that could be worth a lot more than people think. Uh, I have to. Uh, my belief is that's an inexpensive stock. Jerry in New York, Jerry. Hey, Jim, big booyah from New York. How are you tonight? I'm doing well, Jerry. How about you? Good, thanks. So, uh, Boeing, uh, how are we looking? Buy, sell, or I hold think here? Boeing is good. It always pains me because we didn't sell Boeing for the Channel Trust, but you can't just talk about the winners. You got to admit, sometimes you let a stock go before you could, but I did not think China would come back so fast. Let's go to Vince in Ohio. Vince. How you doing, Jim? Booyah. I'm doing well. How about you? Booyah. Good today. Uh, what's on my mind is wondered what you thought about GSK. Well, I understand that GSK is a very inexpensive stock. I saw Pfizer downgraded today. I think Pfizer is a much better stock than GSK. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up, 
Jay Powell doesn't want to take you to the poorhouse. Why the Fed is your friend. Next. When I survey the landscape right now, I see exactly what the Federal Reserve is looking for, for from its war against inflation. ConAgra, on the show last week, says it won't raise prices at the supermarket anymore. The New York Empire State Manufacturing Index shows that it's easier for business to hire people than at any point in the last couple of years. Lots of tech companies are doing sub-rosa layoffs. Well, even the big ones with deep pockets are letting go tons of people. Look at Salesforce laying off 10% of its staff. Now, okay, on Mad Money, we never root for people to lose their jobs, but the Fed's not going to stop raising interest rates until we get a weaker labor market. For good or ill, that's what we're beginning to get. But on days like this one, a down day, we amalgamate the negatives as if they represent the beginning of the Fed's impact on the real economy. Moreover, if companies don't take big charges and cut back on costs, you'll end up with stocks like Goldman Sachs down $24 today, in part because they're not doing enough to control expenses. We can't ask for draconian layoffs like we saw from Meta. They're letting go 13% of their staff because unlike Goldman, Meta's free cash flow was disappointing last year. But we at least want Goldman to show some discipline in what seems like an undisciplined quarter. Even Goldman sounded like they felt disappointed, which makes it hard for me to feel sanguine about this one. Now, I very much believe the Fed's going to do real damage to the economy. I've been open about that. I expect layoffs. I expect the unemployment rate to move from 3.5% to something maybe closer to even 5 However, I also think the downturn will be uneven. There's been tremendous overbuilding in the tech sector. Way too much software. Way too much belief that business can grow endlessly when it turns out that many of these companies are cyclical, depending on the strength of the underlying economy. They're hostage to customers who cut back on tech spending or advertising in a slowdown. We didn't expect that. But Wall Street doesn't seem to grasp that other industries are a lot more resilient. Like the big money center banks, J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of Market, Citigroup. While they all have nascent signs of credit issues, they repeatedly told us that the American consumer has an incredibly strong balance sheet, and I believe them. That means the doomsayers, and there are tons of them, will not be proven, right? Remember, the traditional banks become more profitable every time the Fed raises interest rates. It's just that Wall Street's worried people will also default on their debts as the economy gets worse. But consumers are in terrific shape financially. Now, I know it's hard on days like today to remember that the cost of the Fed's rate hikes are not measured in cents per share, but in the share itself. Fed Chief James Powell is doing what's necessary to preserve the future. Some companies will be able to adjust the future. Other companies are from the past. The difference is this time, it's the tech companies that will be history if they don't hear the klaxons and pivot to profitability like a Salesforce or a Palo Alto Networks already have. It's painful to see headlines like earnings worry Wall Street. Because so far, for the most part, the earnings worries are concentrated on Wall Street, namely one, Goldman Sachs. In fact, tech rallied nicely today, as I said at the top. I just don't want people to lose hope in this market because Goldman had its largest miss in 10 years or because the atavistic Dow Jones average fell 391 points. Goldman's an investment bank with no IPO business, no merger business to speak of. Uh, So, of course, the numbers were bad. And even Goldman's making changes that seem to be paying off. It's just that there was far more risk than we thought. But it makes no sense to slam the whole market when Wells Fargo, J.P. Morgan, Citigroup, Bank of America were outstanding last Friday. And Morgan Stanley was amazing today. 
Consumer banks indicated that consumers are responding to the Fed's radar, cutting back on spending, except for travels I mentioned earlier, because life is too short. I think we need to focus on the companies that are making changes to become more profitable or the ones that are raking in right now, rather than tossing out everything over some earnings jitters. I end tonight's program with a message of constructive optimism. We've had a ridiculously strong market so far this year. Cashing out, like I heard from so many today, makes little sense. The Fed's preserving your wealth, not trashing it. Bet with the Fed, not against them. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I probably try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. With the help of T-Mobile for Business, our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now.